Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the first chapter of Joshua. I'll be reading the first nine verses. As we come to this passage, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, because you are God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we come to this moment expectant, listening for you. We are here, O God. Speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us listen now for God's word for us. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. God speaks to Joshua. And three times, God says, be strong and courageous. Uh, Joshua is called to lead God's children into the promised land. He will need courage because battles are awaiting. He will need courage because the leader they have trusted, Moses, he has died at the edge of the promised land. But more so even than these, they will need courage because God has called them to live as a people defined by the Word of God. 
before Moses died, he preached a long sermon. It's the entire book of Deuteronomy. And in it, he tells the children of God how are they, how they are to live once they enter the promised land. It was not enough to possess the land. That was never the point. They were to live in the land as a people possessed by the word of God. They were to meditate on it day and night until these words became so ingrained in them that it shaped their every choice and encounter and relationship. God says, this is the kind of nation you are to be. And that's why they need courage. Moses leads them into the promised land, and in time, they begin to settle down. They build their villages, they, they plant their crops, they raise their sheep, they raise their children. And in time, they began to assume that the way things were with them was the way God wanted things to be. They began to assume they had reached the goal, they had, they had, they had finally arrived at home, that things were good enough. But then in a variety of ways, sometimes through the voices of the prophets, sometimes through surprising voices from the powerless fringes, sometimes through crisis, God would make his people aware, you're not home yet. You haven't reached the goal yet. Uh, the way things are may seem normal, but we have normalized the wrong things. Go back again. Meditate on the Word until you see what you had not seen before. And they would do that. And with great courage, often, they would change. They would draw closer to the people God was calling them to be. Th this pattern repeated again and again and again and continues until now, and it's a good thing. It's a God thing, but it takes courage. This week, with fewer fireworks and fewer parades, we, we marked a somewhat quieter Independence Day celebration, and maybe it has granted us time to reflect anew on a question that's always important. How do we want to be with each other in this land of freedom? We are these days seeing some things about ourselves that are hard to look at. Some things that we've assumed are normal, we need to rethink. July the 4th, as you know, falls just a few weeks after Juneteenth, an Independence Day of its own. If you don't already know, you probably do, but if you don't already know, Juneteenth is recognized on June 19th to mark that day in 1865 when the word of emancipation finally reached the last enslaved people in Galveston, Texas. It was June the 19th, 1865, they learned they were free. And I imagine like those who marched with Joshua into the promised land, they trusted that they were free. But freedom is elusive. 
the new claimed rights by former slaves was quickly met with hostile and violent backlash. Slavery was followed by Jim Crow and the Klan and Bull Connor. Some rightly point out, though, well, that was then, that's behind us now. And yet, even today, bold, unashamed voices of white power and white supremacy rise up from every corner of American life, including government, and perhaps most ashamedly, including Christian churches. But it's more complicated than that. Dr. Michelle Alexander says we've actually not We've actually not fully escaped Jim Crow. She said the modern practice of Jim Crow is mass incarceration aided by drug policy. You see, the, the data indicates that the use of drugs in white communities and in African-American communities is statistically the same. But the enforcement, the enforcement of punishment far exceeds in the black community than it does in the white community. Why is that? And the United States now has the largest prison population of any nation on earth. Dr. Alexander continues, she says, paying your debts to society sometimes never ends. She says, once you are labeled a felon, then all forms of discrimination in housing, in employment, in social benefits, even the denial of the right to vote, all of these former discriminations are suddenly legal even when you're out of prison. The punishment continues. This is what we have normalized, but is this what we really want to be? I think of how many times in this room we've said, you are not defined by the worst in you. There's a time of confession and repentance, but then enough is enough, and forgiveness comes. Does there come a time when the punishment of our laws needs to be enforced equitably? And does there come a time when the punishment needs to end? This quieter Independence Day in 2020, we are reflecting again on how we want to be with one another in the land. For me and for you as well, this reflection is guided by our faith because the Lordship of Jesus Christ influences every aspect of our lives. And sometimes crisis, sometimes the voices of prophets, sometimes the voices from the fringes, they push us back to this holy word that makes us new. And we have to rethink. And it's a good thing. It's a God thing. But man, it takes courage. In 1987 in Philadelphia, there was a bicentennial celebration of the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. On that bright September day, Chief Justice Warren Burger waxed nostalgic. He said, if we remain on course, keeping faith with the vision of the founders, we will have done our part to see that this great new idea of government by we the people 
remains in place. Berger said our primary work is to keep faith with the vision the founders had in 1787. A few months prior, Associate Justice Thurgood Marshall offered an alternative voice. Uh, Marshall was introduced to many in the nation the first time in 1954 as he argued Brown versus the Board of Education before the Supreme Court. And in 1967, he became the first African-American justice appointed to the land's highest court. But when Marshall looked back to the vision of the Founding Fathers, he looked into the eyes of men who failed to see him as a human being. With the, with the clarity of quill and ink, they penned him three-fifths of a person. So Marshall advised the country to be wary of what he called the flag-waving fervor surrounding the bicentennial. The focus of this celebration offers an invitation, he said. It's, a, it's an invitation to a complacent belief that the vision that those who debated and compromised in Philadelphia in 1787 yielded the more perfect union we are told we now enjoy. He said, I cannot accept that invitation. For the government, he continued, the government the framers devised was defective from the start. It required multiple amendments, a civil war, a momentous social transformation to better realize the promise of a more just society. Credit for the Constitution, he continued, credit for the Constitution in its present meaning belong not to the framers, Marshall concluded, but to those who refuse to acquiesce to outdated notions of liberty, justice, and equality, and strived to better them. Marshall believed in America because he believed America was still becoming. That seems essentially theological to me. It seems holy. As a people of faith, we know it is not enough to possess the land. What matters is that we live as a people possessed by the Word of God, and we live that way in the land. As people of faith, we know we are not defined by any yesterday, even our grand ones, but we are defined by a promise day that we have never seen, but a day on which we base our lives Toward that end, as people of faith, we are always needing to rethink our outdated notions of liberty, justice, and equality, and endeavor, endeavor to better them. The history of faith shows us this. Sometimes it's prophets. Sometimes it's powerless voices from the fringes. Sometimes it's crisis that has pushed the children of God back to that holy word that makes us new. It seems to me we are in just such a time of crisis, and we are surrounded by just such prophetic voices. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. But man, it takes courage. But with some courage and humility, 
we, we can imagine better notions of justice, equality, and liberty, and we can live toward a better day. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.